yeah, let's get on to Exodus chapter 12. One of the most important stories of the entire scripture. Verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the, the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your account for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. Now this footnote here says perfect or sound. So the word there in the original Hebrew means perfect or sound perfect or sound. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Again, the footnote says a year old. You know, it might be a little bit better to translate it as saying a year old instead of saying of the first year. A little bit more of a modern way to say it. Moving on. You can take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. At twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat. Where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs shall they eat it. Do not eat it raw or boiled at all with water, but roast it in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it, with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. That's quite uh, quite a specific commandment, isn't it? Like you not only just eat it in, you know, you gotta slaughter it in a certain way, you gotta, it's gotta be a certain animal, it's gotta be at a certain time, but not only that, but you gotta be wearing certain clothes. Pretty, pretty strict and quite detailed. Moving on, it says. So shall, so you shall eat it in haste. In other words, you got to eat it fast. It is the Lord's Passover. Verse 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now, you know, in in movies of this like the ten commandments and such you you we know about the firstborn of the people of egypt but you don't hear too much about even the animals and you certainly in these movies you don't really see the, you know the aspect of all of the gods of egypt that god himself will execute judgment he will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt. Now, exactly what that looked like, we don't know exactly what that looked like. What, is that, what does that exactly mean? 
Moving on, God says, I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial. Now, I mean, let me stop here for a second. This is an incredibly powerful and important point I want to make here. In the scriptures, we see this over and over and over again, especially the feasts of the Lord, right? Like these feasts, a lot of these feasts are memorials. And so here's the key. When God does something in your life, when God invades your life, if you might put it that way, if God does something significant in your life. Now, you know, in the Christian world, you would say when you got saved, when you came to the Lord, when God revealed himself to you, whatever the case is, this is this is the, the concept. When when God does something in your life, don't forget it. Don't forget it. You know, I know people that have backslid, right? They backslid, like seriously backslid. They come to the Lord and then they seriously get, go back to the ways of the world. It's even worse than, than it was before. But if they just remember, just remember what God did for you. And even myself, sometimes I got to, you think back. Now, I hope that each one of you had really powerful experiences with God where you can look back and say, hey, you know, at this point in time, in this, you know, in this year or this month or this day, you know, God really touched me or I had a powerful experience with God wherever you were. Because God moves wherever he, I mean, it doesn't matter where you go. Uh, he can move, he can touch you right there at home, in your car, at church, out of church, doesn't matter, okay? It, there's no limits with God. But to remember what God did for you is so important. To think back to those days, to remember where you came from is another thing, right? Memory is very, very important when it comes to the things of God. You need to remember Remember where you came from, but remember what God did in your life. Remember how he did it. Remember what it was like. Some of you might, might have been saved recently. Some of you might have been saved years ago, but remember what it was like. Maybe just recently you came to the truth. Remember what it was like to come to the truth. Remember what it was like when God was showing you things, like in the Bible, it's like, wow, like this thing's just sticking out to you. So this is the concept of the feasts of the Lord, right? We, we celebrate the feast of the Lord, remembering what God did for, you know, the children of Israel back in those days. But we should always remember even our personal experiences with God. It's so, so important. So again, Exodus chapter 12, verse 14. So this day shall be to you a memorial. See, God wants you to remember that's what it's all about. It's not just commandments for celebrating feasts just for the sake of it. No, it's there's a purpose, a deep and meaningful purpose to each one of these. And it's all based upon this concept of remember, remember what God did. Don't forget. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout all throughout your generations. 
you shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Everlasting. Not just, you know, until the age of the law is done away with and now until the age of grace comes. No. You shall keep it by an everlasting ordinance. Someone said to me, I heard someone say, well, you know, when talking to some Christians, it's like, well, a lot of these Christians would say, well, you know, the law is done away with now or, you know. It, just until Jesus came and Jesus nailed him to the cross or whatever, you know, they have lots of different things like that. Well, God said everlasting. God said forever. He said these kind of things over and over again, scores of times in the, in the word of God. And some Christians might say, well, yeah, God said everlasting, but he didn't really mean it. If you were God, and you wanted your people to know it's an everlasting commandment, how would you tell them? How would you tell them? It's an everlasting commandment. Verse 15, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. Now, why unleavened bread? Why un unleavened bread? What's the significance of unleavened bread? You know, in, in the days of Yeshua, he, he spoke about the pride, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, as leaven, leaven, okay? Leaven is, an, is another word for yeast, yeast, okay? It, um, it, it, when you got yeast in the dough and the yeast ferments, the least, the yeast causes, you know, um, it, the, the, the dough to be quote unquote puffed up. When you've got, let's say, for example, a, two pounds of bread dough and there's no yeast in it and you just and and you just bake it unleavened okay uh, it's a lot it looks like a lot less but when you have yeast in it and it ferments in it and it, and it rises okay it rises because of the you know the the carbon dioxide the air what some people might call air bubbles in the bread okay and that's what puffs it up and makes it look so bigger and it's fluffier and all that kind of thing so why did God institute this, this feast, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread? What is the significance of unleavened bread? Because unleavened bread is a symbol for humility. Humility. Not to be puffed up, not to look bigger, not to look, quote unquote, weightier than you really are. Not to look quote unquote, bigger than you really are, but rather to stay low, to stay humble, to stay unleavened, unleavened. That's the significance of unleavened bread. I cringe when I see these, uh, a lot of Christian churches today when they have uh, um, communion. They have communion with leavened bread you know they cut the bread into little cubes tiny little cubes and with the little tiny little cup of uh you know uh, grape juice for the wine and and, and that. that is such an abomination because you're not supposed to use leavened bread it's so important to use unleavened bread and to explain it to the people so that everybody knows why they are eating unleavened bread now i know in in some churches uh, you know what i'm talking about with using leavened bread in these little cubes i'm talking about protestant churches mainly 
Yeah. You know, like other other churches I know they use like unleavened bread. A lot of a lot of churches do use unleavened bread, like little wafers or this kind of thing. But in the Protestant world, it's a lot of these leavened bread. It should never be. You should never be taking communion or celebrating Passover or anything like that with leavened bread. It should be unleavened bread. And when you take of that unleavened bread, you are supposed to connect with that spiritually and say, yes, this is a symbol of humility. And that's what I identify with. I humble myself. I don't want to look weightier than I really am. I don't want to look bigger than I really am. I don't want to be filled up with just a bunch of air. I want to be solid. I want to be humble. And that's that's really the key. That's really the key. All right, so verse 15, again, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. Now, so it's not just eating unleavened bread. It's also removing the leaven from your houses. Now, in the Jewish world, they do this even to this day, uh, you know, around Pesach, around Passover. And a lot of them are very, very strict with it. Uh, remove everything, like clean, like really. And this is where they get the idea of spring cleaning, like cleaning everything, like super, super clean, like not even a crumb of bread anywhere in the house, not stuck in some crevice behind the counter, not a toaster, nothing like that. You know, cleaning out your cupboards, cleaning everything f with a... F <laughs> you know, like the fine tooth comb, so to speak, but cleaning it very, very well. Now, if they really, if, if, if believers did that in the sense of cleaning their lives of all pride, of all, of, of that being puffed up, can you imagine how powerful the, the people of God would be? How powerful they would be? They would be so incredibly powerful. What made Moses so powerful? Well, we know it was, it was the grace of God. We know that God chose him. But why did God choose him? What was the what was the what was the characteristic of Moses that really attracted God? You know, it says in Numbers chapter twelve that he was the most humble man in all of the earth. Can you imagine having that title, the most humble man in all of the earth? That is, that's an amazing thing. That's an amazing thing. It is so important to be humble, not to be proud. God will strike down the pride of the proud, but he will, he will raise up the humble. That is, that is a promise of God time and time again throughout Scripture. We see that all the way through Scripture, actually. Okay. So on the first day, you shall remove leaven from your houses. Figuratively speaking, symbolically speaking, this is to remove every iota of pride from your heart. That's what it's all about. Removing every bit of pride out of your heart. And we need to pray for that. We need to pray that God would help us to do that, to remove pride. Moving on with verse 15, the last half of verse 15. For whoever eats leavened bread, 
from the first day to the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Now, again, we got footnotes here. That person in the footnote, that soul, his soul, literally, that soul, shall be cut off. Or also put to death is another thing uh, that you can translate it as. Verse 16, on the first day, there shall be a holy convocation. And on the seventh day, there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only that only may be prepared by you. So, so you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this same day, I will, ha I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Now, armies, again, in the footnote, is hosts. Hosts, it's an old word that means armies. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. Again, again, everlasting ordinance, just like it was up here. You shall keep this feast by an everlasting ordinance. And then again, you know, again, it's like you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. No wonder Jews say, hey, you Christians say that the law is done away with. Uh, well, it says in our Bible 65 times that it's everlasting. Explain. Can you please explain? Verse 18, in the first month on the 14th day of the, of, the, of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened, in all your dwellings, you shall eat unleavened bread. Very, very important. 21. Then Moses called for, the, for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover. And that word lamb is not in the original. That's why it is in italics. It's not in the original manuscripts. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come in to your houses to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an, as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as he promised, that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your, when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? That you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. 
So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn Pharaoh, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night. Here we go again. Remember last time when, when uh, Pharaoh, every time God struck, struck Pharaoh, he's like, oh, come back, pray for me, pray for me. And then when everything goes well, then he gets back on his high horse and, and opposes God again. And that's exactly the way it is with most, a lot of people, if not most people, actually. Continuing with verse 31, then he called for the for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Also take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone and bless me also. <laughs> so he's not completely, uh, he still wants to be blessed by the God of Israel. And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, having their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes and, and on their shoulders. Now the children of Israel had gone, had done according to the word of Moses, and they had asked from the Egyptians, articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Hmm. Very interesting. Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkot. Sukkot. Remember Sukkot? Sukkot means tabernacles or booths or dwelling places, okay? About 600,000 men on foot besides children. So here's what we, this is where we get the, the number of the people that came out of Egypt. Now, you see it very clearly, it's 600,000 men. This is not counting the women and children, and this is the way it is in a lot, most of the Tanakh, most of the Holy Scriptures. It only counts the men. It only counts the men. And some people would, I've heard, I've heard a rabbi actually argue that Jacob only had 12 sons and one daughter. You know, so I... I, I'm tending to challenge that because I think that the only, the only reason why it mentions Dinah or Dina is because of the significant event that happened in her life. Uh, other than that, it's, it's, it's the convention of the Holy Scriptures not to mention or number any of the women or children, just the men. So I believe that 
Jacob could have had a lot more daughters than just Dinah. It's just that nothing of of great magnitude uh, became of their life story that was that was uh, worth mentioning in the Holy Scriptures. So, verse thirty eight. And by the way, as well, 600,000 men on foot without the women and children. This is the idea that there, there were at least 3 million people together, all together, because there's 600,000 men. If every man had a wife, only one wife, okay, because back in those days, some of these men had more than one, but let's just say everyone had one. That would mean 1,200,000. That's just the men and children. Not, not include, I mean, that's just the men and the, their wives, not including their children. So they said there were eh, at least 3 million people that came out of Egypt with Moses. Verse 38. A mixed multitude went up with them also. Okay. Now, let me stop there again. Because this is... Uh, in addition to the 600,000 men of the children of Israel, there were the mixed multitude that went up with them also. What does that mean, mixed multitude? It means people from all over the world, people from all different nationalities, ethnic backgrounds, not just Jewish people. So if someone tells you that the Torah is only for Jewish people or the, the law of God is only for the Jews, uh, excuse me. We've got a lot more. We've got a lot of non-Jewish people that came out of Egypt with Moses and the children of Israel. We have the mixed multitude. Doesn't even number them. It doesn't tell us the, how, much, how many there were, but there was the mixed multitude. It was a mix of many different people that came out. I mean, Egypt was like the superpower back in those days, right? So there were people from all over the world there, just like, say, you know, how there are, let's just say, for example, in America today, there are a lot of people from all over the world, especially, you know, in the time that that this was this was happening. So people from all over the world. Now, if if I was in Egypt back in those days, you know, not being part of the children of Israel. And I saw, and I, I, I mean, I experienced, you, you, you were a firsthand witness of all of these plagues upon Egypt. And you knew that it was the God of Moses that did it. You knew it was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that's behind it. And that God is with Moses and the children of Israel. And it culminates to this point where it's like, okay, we can't stand you. We can't, we cannot, we can't live like this any longer. You guys got to go. You you take your God because it's just too much for us to handle. I would be the same way. I'd be like, Moses, count me in. Count me in. I'm coming with you. I'm coming with you, Moses. Doesn't matter. I'm coming with you. Count me in with the mixed multitude. Again, Exodus chapter 12, verse 38, a mixed multitude. That's many, many different nationalities and many different people went up with them also and flocks and herds, a great deal of livestock. And they baked bread, excuse me, and they baked unleavened cakes of dough, which they had brought out of Egypt for it was not leavened because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait nor had they prepared provisions for themselves, okay? So why did they not pre prepare provisions for themselves? Because it was in such haste. It was in such, it was so fast. It happened so fast. They, and they, they were driven out in, hurt, in a hurry. Verse 40, 
Now the sojourn of the, of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. A sojourn, again in the footnote, says the length of the stay. The length of the stay, 430 years. Uh, of those who lived in Egypt. Okay, again in the footnote here, we have in the Septuagint, Egypt and Canaan. Egypt and Canaan. I believe this was this speaks of the Samaritan text as well. The Samaritan text. So I do have a copy of the Samaritan text. Uh, just a second here. I do have a copy of the Samaritan text, so let's have a peek at it. Exodus chapter 12. Verse 40. Now, I do not have this in electronic format, so I cannot actually show you guys on the screen. And it's almost impossible for me to, to put the camera up to this. Uh, so I'll just read it. The According to the Israelite Samaritan texts, it says in Exodus chapter 12, verse 40, at the time that the sons of Israel and their forefathers dwelt in the land of Canaan and in the and in the land of Mitzrayim was 430 years. Don't forget that Mitzrayim is a uh, is the Hebrew or Jewish way of saying Egypt. Mitzrayim, Egypt. So that's true. A Samaritan and the Septuagint according to that also says in the land the land of Egypt. So, let's just let's just have a look here. Um, so we're reading from the New King James Version. So let's just let's just change this New King James Version to the Septuagint just for a second. And let's look at verse 40. Just to check for ourselves. When we like to check for ourselves, it says, And the sojourning of the children of Israel while they sojourned in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan was 430 years. Right? So we got that right there. Again, this is the New King James. It says simply those who lived in the land of Egypt. Okay, moving on. Verse 41. And it came to pass at the end of 430 years, on that very same day, it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out of the land of Egypt. It is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it, but every man's servant who is bought for money, when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. A sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it. In one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. Now we know that in according to uh, the New Testament, we have a uh, correlation uh, drawn between this commandment and the fact that Yeshua did not have any of his bones broken on the cross. Verse 47, And all the congregation of Israel shall keep it, 
And when the when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as a native of the land. For no uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. Okay, there we are. That's a good one. One law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. Again, this is another piece of evidence that we have that it's not just for the native born, i.e. the Jews or the children of Israel. Okay, it's, The Torah is not just for them. The feasts of the Lord are not just for them. It's also for the stranger, meaning those who are not, those who are just visiting even. This is why we read in the book of Acts that for the Passover, there were a lot of people. There were a lot of people in the upper room. They came from all over the world to celebrate the feasts. They, they didn't stop them saying, oh, it's only for the Jewish people. No, they came from all over the place. That's why there were people from all over the world in Acts chapter 2. Verse 50, thus all the children of Israel did. As the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And it came to pass on that very same day that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt according to their armies. According to their armies. Exodus chapter 13. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both man and beast, it is mine. And Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out of this place. Again, let me just let me just say this again. I want to re I want to reiterate, reiterate this concept. God wants us to remember when God does something in your life, whatever it is, when God performs a miracle for you, and he does perform miracles for his people, when God, when God does anything significant in your life, you should remember it. Don't forget it. Write it down. Remember it. Celebrate it. Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Again, no leavened bread, right? Symbolizing and signifying that no pride is allowed. No arrogance, no puffed up attitude is allowed. You got to be humble. Verse 4. On this day you are going out, in the, in the month Abib. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days. And no leavened bread shall be seen among you, nor shall leaven be among you in all your quarters. Again, this is this is a this is a commandment that a lot of the Jewish people really take seriously and you know pretty much go to the extreme, if I may say so. 
Um, again, any kind of toasters or anything that has any, even breadcrumbs in it whatsoever. And, you know, some of the, uh, the Jewish laws, now I know the Jewish laws kind of add to or expound upon the Torah, but the Jewish laws would even say that if you, you cannot even allow water and, and flour to be mixed together for any longer than eight minutes, it has to be, it has to be baked within eight minutes. So if you go to a store and you see like unleavened bread for sale and it says on there kosher for Passover, it means that it was produced, it was manufactured, it was it was it was baked in such a way that from the time the ingredients were mixed together to the time of the finished product when it's baked and ready ready to go, I mean 8 minutes according to Jewish law. According to Jewish law, it's supposed to be no more than 8 minutes. The idea is if it sits any more than 8 minutes, Leaven can somehow, leaven can, it can start to be leavened. You know, the yeast can start growing in it if it's, if it's left any more than eight minutes. And there are a lot of other very strict uh, Jewish laws as well in regards to Passover. So when you see something that says kosher for Passover, you can, you can be very sure that it is extra, extra kosher in, in, uh, in accordance with the kashrut laws, not necessarily the written Torah, but but the uh, kashrut, the uh, written uh, or the Jewish laws, I should say. Verse eight, and you shall tell your son in that day, saying, "There is, there is." Or excuse me, this is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came out, came up from Egypt. And it shall be a sign to you on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this ordinance in his season, in its season from year to year. And again, the word ordinance in the footnotes says regulation, regulation. Verse 11, and it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites as he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that that open the womb, that is, every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have. The males shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you, if you excuse me, and if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of man among your sons shall, or you shall redeem. So it shall be when your son asks you in the time to come, saying, What is this that you shall say to him? By strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Now again, keep in mind, God is not, God wants his people to be out of bondage, out of bondage, right? So the Torah, because they're, they're going to get the Torah just in a matter of a few weeks after this, right? So the Torah is certainly not bondage. The Torah is, a, is the law of liberty. Verse 15, and it, and it came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb. 
but all the first but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a sign on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes. For by strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. So, and that just... Simply said, God did not take them the, sh- the shortest way. He took them around the longest way, more or less. He didn't take them. He didn't. He didn't. Uh, he didn't let them take the shortcut. Isn't that the way it is sometimes in our lives? Right? Isn't that the, isn't that the way it is sometimes in our lives when God does not allow us? God does not let us take the shortcut. Sometimes, sometimes we have to. We have to go around the long way. Exodus 13, verse 19. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. Very, very important, as we read in the Legends of the Jews, right? And the, the and Moses took the bones of Moses with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. The word visit here in the footnotes give attention to. That's a very important thing that God would give it a, give attention to you. Verse 20. So they took their journey from Sukkot and encamped in Atham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the fire by night from before the people. So what do we learn from here? Well, I mean, there's a couple different things about the cloud and the fire. I mean, the cloud, first of all, to show the people the way, because in the day, it would be easier to see the cloud than it would be to see the fire. In the night, it'd be easier to see the fire than to see the cloud. So it'd be like, that's like God's GPS system right there. But not only that, but we have protection. Because remember, this is a wilderness. This is like in the day, the sun would be beating down on these people. And the cloud would protect them from that. And at night, it would be cold, especially in that part of the world. It, would, it could get quite cold at night. So the pillar of fire could also protect them from that. So protect them from the elements as well as lead them, guide them, give them direction. Isn't that awesome? So the next chapter is is Exodus chapter 14, the Red Sea Crossing. The Red Sea Crossing. Before we get to that, let's get to your, I get some of your comments. Okay. 
Jeff. Jeff says, Shalom, friends. Shalom, Jeff. Good to see you. says, why would people believe Yahuwah lied to us when he said forever? He did not lie. Yes, that's the thing. I mean, you see, you know what happens is, and we see this in many different cases and many different situations. You know, a lot of Christians would say, well, God said that, but he didn't really mean it that way. He didn't mean it that, you know, he said it, but he didn't really mean it the way it sounds like, you know, that's, that's basically the gist of it. Now, they might be able to get away with that if God only said it once or twice. You say, well, he said it, but he didn't really mean it like that. But the fact of the matter is that he said it like 40, 50, 60 some odd times. I personally counted 40 within 40, was it 40? I forget what it is now, 40 something, just within the first five books of the Bible, not including the Tanakh, like the rest of the Tanakh, not including the rest of the so-called Old Testament. Uh, I heard another rabbi say that he um, he counted like 65, 65 times God says this is forever, for all your generations to the end, you know, eternally, all that kind of stuff. So it's very hard to get around it when you got God saying it so many times. Will Sr., 1 Corinthians 5, 6, your glorying is not good. No, you're not that little leaven leavens the whole lump. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven that you may that you may be be a new lump, as you are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness but with unleavened bread of sincerity. Yes, awesome. Very good. Thank you. Thank you, Will. Actually, I was thinking about that in the back of my mind, but you, thank you for, for quoting that. The Tower Time says, Shabbat Shalom, brothers and sisters. Bless you all. Shabbat Shalom, Tower Time. Good to see you. Will Senior says, and truth Leaven represents that sinful nature in us. Shabbat Shalom. Amen. Um, Will, Will Sr., Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Will Sr. says, I was hoping you bring that up, Christopher. Mixed multitude. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Abril says, I have used tortillas made with only water and flour for unleavened bread. Yeah. Seek the Lord says, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Shabbat Shalom. Seek the Lord. Good to see you. Welcome. Caballero says, I have heard many, many Christians say that the Torah is bondage and impossible to obey, which is the reason why Jesus came to free us from the law. Yeah, there's a lot of problems with that, as we just touched on there, that uh, the Torah, God is a God of, God is, it's the same God, yesterday, today, today, and forever. He's the same, as he says in Malachi chapter 3, I am the Lord, I change not. And so, he is a God of love. He's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. And he's a God that wants his people free, as we, uh, we read here. 
Now he, with a, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, he set his people f- free through 10 plagues. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, just a mighty display of power. Uh, he bent over backwards, basically, to set his people free. Why, what sense did it make for him to set his people free only to throw another bondage on them? And the way a lot of these Christians talk is if the Torah is even worse bondage than Egypt was. The way they talk, right? So uh, it really doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Uh, why would God do that? I can hear people say, well, that's the Old Testament. Well, you know what? The Old Testament people sang over and over again. You know, uh, the Lord is good. His mercy endures forever. When did they ever sing that in the New Testament? The Lord is good. His mercy endures forever. Right? It's and yeah, the next part is it's impossible to obey. Again, that kind of I understand why they why they say that because they're they what they're doing is they are creating, they are fabricating a selling point for Christianity. At least their version of Christianity. Let me put it that way. They are fabricating a sales pitch for Jesus. As if Jesus needs that. You know, Jesus, he can do, he can do fine on his own. He doesn't need anybody to fabricate lies try to try to get people to come to him. It's just going to backfire out, you know, after they find the truth, it's going to backfire. And to say that it's impossible to obey, you are indirectly, anybody who says that the law is impossible to obey, you are indirectly accusing God of being a tyrant of being an unreasonable tyrant. This is it's not, a, it's not a God of mercy, not a God of, of love. Because you think about it. God didn't need the law to show you that you are a sinner. I mean, let me put it this way. I mean, maybe that doesn't, people won't understand it without me explaining it a little bit more. God, if, if, if God wanted you to know you were a sinner, if God wanted his people to know they were sinners, he didn't, all he'd have to do is just tell them, I'm holy, you're not, I'm perfect, you're not, period. That's all he'd have to say. I, you know, I'm holy, you're a bunch of sinners, period. That's all he'd have to say. He wouldn't have to draft out hundreds of commandments and then also also attached to those commandments and to that you know to his word is if you break these commandments serious curses will ensue and it's not just a little bit it is horrific nightmarish hellish hell on earth curses you know reading Deuteronomy chapter 28 verses 15 all the way through to the end of the chapter it's it's like a night it's like a living nightmare if you don't obey the law. So to say that that it's impossible to obey, you you are you know anybody who says that the Torah is impossible to obey, what they're saying is whether they under whether they know it or not, what they're saying is God is such an unreasonable tyrant that he just drafted, he just gave his people laws that they could not obey, and then he cursed them with horrible, hellish, nightmarish curses 
because they couldn't obey them, and he knew they couldn't obey them, and he left them in that state for 1,500 years until Jesus came. And that's the law, that's the God of love. That's the God that they sang about all the time, saying, he is good, his mercy endures forever. And that's the law that the word of God, that's the law that David sang about and wrote about, being sweeter than honey, more precious than the finest of gold, to be desired more than any of the gold on earth. Oh, how I love your law. The law of liberty, the law of freedom. David said many times throughout the Psalms, I obey, I will obey your law. I, I obey. And another, another thing too is this, when the law was given, and we'll get to that, Lord willing, we'll get to that. When the, when the Torah is given, all of the children of Israel and the mixed multitude, the whole entire kit and caboodle, everybody that was there, millions and millions of people, it says they all said, we will do it. We'll do it. There was not one person who said, oh, no, that's too hard. That's impossible to obey. Why would they all say, we will do it? Because they all understood the Torah. They all understood that it was easy to obey. Just as God himself said, and this is another thing, when it comes to anybody who says it's impossible to obey, you are calling God a liar because Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11, God said very specifically at the end, this basically at the end of the Torah, He's just wrapping, wrapping it up and he's just tying up the loose ends, so to speak, by the time Deuteronomy chapter 30 comes, the last book of the books of Moses, the last part, the last few chapters of the last book of the books of Moses. Just wrapping it all up, just tying up the loose ends. God says, These, this commandment is not, this is not too difficult for you. So they're calling, they're calling God an unreasonable tyrant. They're basically blaspheming God is what they're doing. They are also calling God a liar. Not only that, but in the New Testament, Luke chapter 1, verse 6, it says Zechariah, but not, not just that, but there was, I mean, hundreds of times throughout the Tanakh, it says that people were righteous. They were righteous in the eyes of God, righteous people, meaning that they obeyed all of the law and the commandments. But Luke chapter 1, verse 6, it says it very clearly. It says Zechariah and Elizabeth were both righteous. Zechariah, the high priest of the time, uh, and Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist, it says they were both righteous. Now think about that for a second. They were both righteous. When Paul said there's none righteous, but it says they were both righteous. That's not to mention that there's hundreds of other times that God told, said that there are people that are righteous. They were both righteous, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. For those of you who are interested in actually seeing it before your very eyes, I'm going to pull it up for you guys on YouTube. Let me just pull it up. For, the, for those of you who are on TikTok, you can just go on over to YouTube or just look it up. It's Luke chapter 1. Let's start with verse, let's start with verse 5. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest. Actually, I'm sorry, it's not the high priest, but it was a certain priest by the name of Zacharias 
of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were both, this is, this is verse 6, and they were both righteous before God. Now, consider what it doesn't say. It does not say, well, you know, it was hard. It was very difficult for Zechariah to be righteous before God. It was like super, super. Elizabeth just couldn't get there. I mean, because it's, it's just so hard to, to, to be righteous before God. No, it just talks like it's, it's just like they were both righteous before God. It's like, hey, they can both do it. Husband and wife, man and woman, they can both do it. They're both righteous before God. Walking in how many? Uh, uh, does it say uh, just a couple commandments? Is that what it says? Some commandments, is that what it says? It says that they walked in all the commandments and ordinances. Not just the commandments, but the ordinances as well. Blamelessly. There was, in other words, there was no fault in them. There was nothing that they did that, that you can point their finger, you can point your finger to them and say, oh, you are... A sinner, you broke the law there. So, yeah, it is very, very impossible—not impossible. It's very, very possible. <laughs> Excuse me. Very, very possible. In fact, not just possible, but easy to obey the Torah. That's just a fact. Bibi says, "Shabbat shalom, everyone. Shabbat shalom. Good to see you." Victoria says, "Hey guys. Hey, good to see you. Welcome as well." Victoria says, thank you for praying for me a few days ago. So far, I'm doing 100% better. As long as I keep sleeping, I'll be back to norm my normal self. Awesome. Beautiful. Thank you very much for sharing that with us. Praise God. Praise God. God does answer prayer. God answers prayer for sure. Bless the Lord. Will Sr. says they get they get it from Galatians 3.10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. But forget to keep reading. Watch, watch this. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do all, uh, all things, having been written in the book of the law to do them. Yeah. Yeah, it, you know... The thing is this, right? Like, it people who do not know how the Torah works, it it does sound like, oh, this is an impossible feat. Like, this is like, you know, I, it's easier to climb Mount Everest, right? It's just easier to climb Mount Everest than it is to obey the Torah, to, to do everything that the Torah wants you to do. But the fact of the matter is, it's easy to do everything <laughs> that, that you are, required to do again it's not christians are are led to believe that there are 613 laws and that you have to obey every single one of those laws perfectly or else that's it you're you're, you're guilty of all of them what they don't realize is that doctrine is not a christian doctrine at least partially not a christian doctrine because 613 laws that's not in the bible it's not it's not in the bible nowhere in the bible does it say here are my here are my 613 laws. Nowhere in the scriptures, nowhere in the scriptures does God ever say that there are 613 laws to obey. That is actually from the Talmud. That's from the oral law of the Jews. It's not a Christian doctrine, but Christians conveniently like to harvest that from the Talmud, even though they 
completely throw the Talmud in the garbage. They take that out of there because that really fits their narrative. They can use that to fabricate another another reason to you know fabricate another selling point right for their for their evangelical um <laughs> they make they try to create a need for Jesus i'm of the he, jesus doesn't not need a salesman jesus does not need a salesman okay he can do just fine on his own he can just do he can do just fine on his own he does not need a salesman and so the fact of the matter is uh, a lot of Jews uh, disagree. Even they disagree. Jewish scholars disagree. Say it's not six hundred thirteen. Some would say it's more. Some would say it's less. But there is the, there is a disagreement even amongst the the Jewish people in Judaism. And that's an important point to, to realize as well. But a more important thing to understand is that even if there were six hundred thirteen commandments. Only a very, very small fraction of that is, is, a, is for you and me. A lot of them are for the Levitical high priests in the temple, not for us. Some are for women only, some are for men only, some are for husbands only, some are for wives only, some are for children only, some are for the strangers only, some, you know, and it goes on and on, right? So to say to somebody, you must obey all 613 laws or else you're done, that's like saying to someone who is walking on the street, you must, you know, oh, look, you're not, you're not obeying the laws of, of, uh, of driving a car. Therefore, I'm going to charge you. Um, but I'm not in a car. I'm walking down the street. The laws of driving a car does not apply to me. This is the thing. Christians don't get it. They don't get it, right? So it's the same way. It's like when you're in a car, if you're driving a car, the laws for driving a car apply to you. The laws of an airplane does not apply to you, okay? The laws of street cars do not apply to you. The laws of a car. It's pretty simple, but a lot of people just don't get it. Brenda says, please pray for me. I feel like I'm backsliding. I feel so distracted by everything. Okay, guys, let's, let's do this. We'll pray for our sister Brenda here. All right. Again, everyone who's in the sound of my voice, every believer, let's join in prayer. You know, it, it, talk about commands. We are commanded to pray for one another, right? We are commanded to pray for one another. So let's do that right now. Father, we thank you, Father. We thank you, Father. We bless you, Father. We thank you, Father, for, for this night. Thank you, Father, for bringing us here tonight. Thank you, Father, for all that you've done in our lives. Father, you are so awesome. You are so good. As Daniel prayed, you are the great and awesome God. You who keep your covenant of love with those who love you and those who follow your commands. Your name is holy, Father. Holy is your name. Father, we come before you tonight, Father. We ask you that you would refresh Brenda 
refreshed. We read about it in the book of Acts that the times of refreshing would come from the presence of the Lord. So, Father, we we spoke earlier about remembering what God did in our lives and to bring that back to our remembrance. And that's what the whole, all the commandments of the feasts are all about is to keep us, keep that fresh in, keep that, keep the work of God fresh in our hearts and minds and spirits. So Father, Father, refresh Brenda. Let the, let the times of refreshing, let, let the times of refreshing in the spirit, in the word come to Brenda. Father, we welcome you, we invite you, we ask you, we give you permission to just come upon Brenda right now. Oh, Spirit of God, you are so gentle and you are so powerful. Come upon Brenda right now. Let the times of refreshing come to her from the presence of the Lord. Let the presence of the Lord fill the room she's in right now. Wherever she is right now, fill that place around her. Envelop her, Father. Envelop her. Let her feel your presence once again, fresh afresh. Father, woo her. Woo her. Draw her to yourself even closer. Draw her to yourself. All these distractions, all these things that may come upon her, Father, Father, we ask you, you would just peel it all away and let her just be as a little child before you. And she would come before you and just enjoy your presence. And whatever would be hindering, if there's anything in her heart, any kind of bitterness or unforgiveness or any kind of fear or worries, Father, that would be there, remove it, remove it. Let it, by your presence, Father, melt away any hardness of heart, melt away any... It shine through the darkness and calm every fear. Calm every fear. Give her a renewed and refreshed desire to draw near to you, to spend quality time with you, to open up the scriptures and just to look at them and study them and let you speak to her through those scriptures, to spend some time in the presence of the Lord, in worship, in humility. Father, once again, Father, we welcome you. We invite you. We ask you. We give you permission just to envelop Brenda right now with your peace, with your glory, with your presence. In the name of Yeshua of Nazareth, and everyone said, Amen and Amen. Amen. Brenda says, thank you. You're very welcome. Will Sr. says, don't want to be under the law. It's condemnation. Don't break it. Not, not complicated once we get this. Absolutely. I said it like this too. I said that this is a way to put it like this too. 
several years ago, it's a true story. Several years ago, I, I was, I had a meeting in this, I was in this place and I had a meeting. I called a meeting. People were, people came to the meeting and I was talking about that very concept about being quote unquote under the law. And so I asked everybody, I said, how many of you here are under the weather? And I said, put up your hand, put up your hand. Is anybody under the weather right now? Nobody put up their hand. So I said, okay, so I assume you're all doing well. Yeah, yeah, we're all doing well. So I said, so you knew what I was talking about when I said under the weather. It means sick, more or less. You're not feeling well, right? You're under the, you're, you're quote unquote under the, under the weather. And you know, if you want to take it in a more literal sense, you're, you're, not, you're not suffering the negative effects of the weather, So if you're not under the weather right now, does that mean you're in space? Does that mean that you are not feeling the wind when you go outside, that, you're, that the sun is not beating on your face? Does that, mean that, does that mean that when it's raining, it doesn't rain on you? Is that what it means when you're not under the weather? Does it mean that you are not in, you're, you are in outer space? No, it just means that you are not experiencing the negative effects of the weather. The weather still has power over you. The wind still can blow and the sun can shine on you and the rain can fall on you. It's just that you're not experiencing the negative effects of that. You're not sick. So I said in the same way, if you're not under the law, it doesn't mean that you're not, that the law is not, that the, it doesn't mean that the commandments don't apply to you, that, that the law is completely done away with, it means that you're not experiencing the negative effects of the law because you are obeying the law. It's like this. We're, we spoke about driving earlier. You're driving, okay? You're obeying the speed limit. You, you pass a police officer. You got a police officer at the side of the road checking people's speed. Checking your speed. You pass. You're not speeding. Guess what? You're not under the law. But let's say you're going double the speed limit. You should never do that. But let's just say, hypothetically speaking, you're going double the speed limit. You see lights behind you. Guess what? You're under the law. When that happens, you can be pretty, pretty well assured that you're under the law. Why? Because you broke it. So... When you break the law, that's when you're under the law. When you don't break the law, you're not under the law. That's 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 the point. Going Nowhere says, was the flood global or not? Sorry, I had to ask again. Hope that's okay. Yeah, no problem. Um, so, this is, a, this is a topic that can get a little bit sticky with people because people are have very dearly held beliefs one way or another. Uh, typically speaking, as you well know, that most Christians would say it was global. It was global. Uh, everything was flooded, and 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 people would say there there is um, 
archaeological, excuse me, archaeological evidence for that. Now, you look at the original Hebrew text. It does give, re, it does allow for you to interpret it as being local. Now, let me, let me explain this for a minute. Let me explain this before you start going, oh, no, no, no. Let me explain. It's just like in the, in the, the days of the Tower of Babel. Okay, it says all the all the the entire like it says all the earth were was was of one one tongue, okay, one language is some some translations. You look at the term the earth in the original Hebrew, it's haaretz ha, which is the Hebrew word the aretz, which is the Hebrew word earth. In the same way, it goes for the flood. It says that the flood covered the earth, which is Haaretz, again. Now, in the original Hebrew, let me just, before I go too far here, I want to say this. What I'm about to say, I know it can, I know some people will not, may not take it very well, but saying, is it, it, this is one of the stories that would, that, atheists use to disqualify the Bible. They say, there's no way, you know, how can you get the entire world and all the plant, all the animals and all the species of every, all that in one little tiny boat? Like, you know, it's just not very big. All things considered, it's not big. Well, again, the word earth, arets, or the earth, haaretz, it may or may not, it can or, it, it's, it's, it's a word that can be, it, it literally means land, all the land. Now, it doesn't tell you what land or all the land of the earth. It could be just one part. Actually, if you look it up in the Hebrew, the word aretz or haaretz can mean a, a, a country? It can, it can mean the whole earth. Yes, it can. But it can also mean one country. It can also mean one jurisdiction of that country. It, it can also be taken down to so small to mean one field. No, I don't. I'm not saying that um, the, the flood of Noah only consisted of one field. I'm not saying that. Don't get me wrong. Don't misunderstand me. A lot of people misunderstand me. What I'm saying is, in the original Hebrew, it does give the way it's worded, it can be interpreted as being local. Now, that very word haaretz that's used in both the Tower of Babel and in the end in the flood of Noah, even to this very day, is used only of the Holy Land. In fact, Israel is called Haaretz. There's a website that is Israeli news website called Haaretz. It's about the land. Uh, it's basically all of, it's just about the land of Israel. That's all it means. Haaretz today in in certain in certain contexts means just the land of Israel. So what I'm saying is this. According to the literal 
interpretation of the story of Noah, it can, it, I'm just saying this, it can mean something that's not so widespread. It could mean something that is a little bit more localized. And if that's the case, that, that would make total sense. Oh yeah, you know the with all the animals and all the you know the and and the you know, Noah and it, if that's the case, that would make total sense, right? That it wouldn't be everything everywhere. And I know again, I know there are people who would say yes, um, but you know we have archaeological evidence, you know, over on, you know, in the West, let's say in North America or South America or Central America, we have archaeological evidence that the flood, uh, that it was flooded. But then again, I mean, in Genesis chapter one, it says that God created the entire earth out of water anyway, right? He created the entire earth out of water anyway. And I personally believe that God created the earth with age. I don't think that he created it young. I think he created it with age. Just like how he created Adam. I don't think he I don't think he created Adam as, you know, two cells within a some womb somewhere to grow into a baby and to be born. I think that he created Adam as a as an adult. All right? So for those who have a problem with the idea that the, the flood of Noah was global, all I would have to say is this. According to the original Hebrew and in interpretation thereof, it is possible that the flood of Noah could have been a lot more local than you think. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying it wasn't global. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it wasn't. I'm just saying that as much as you see it, and much, as much as you read it, it's possible to interpret it the other way. Hope that helps. Going nowhere. Brenda says in Yeshua's name, Amen, Amen, yes. In going nowhere, ask the question as well. Christopher, have you ever suspected a public figure of being the Antichrist? If so, who? No, I haven't. No. I do not think that anybody... Any public figure right now, I don't I don't think that any of them, and you know, this is this is the thing, right? For <laughs> with all due respect who to people who believe that so and so or someone else or this person or that person is the Antichrist, if you look at it from a very objective point of view, and you look at the history and track record that we have, and the Christians and believers all over the world for hundreds, if not almost 2,000 years, there has always been a public figure that Christians believe was the Antichrist. Martin Luther himself, like what, 500 years ago? Approximately 500 years ago? Martin Luther himself said, he said, I know that the Pope is the, is the Antichrist. He said, I'm convinced. I think that's how he put it. I'm convinced that the Pope is the Antichrist. Well, guess what? Martin Luther was wrong. That was not the Antichrist back in, you know, the 16th century. 
as good or as bad as the Pope was back in those days, he wasn't the Antichrist. And that's, that's exactly the way it is even today. As good and as bad as some of these political and public figures are, I do, I do not see it yet. I don't see it as the Antichrist. The an Antichrist, maybe. Maybe an Antichrist, but not the Antichrist. Vinny says, it seems they put so much effort into finding loopholes in the Bible to fulfill their fleshly desires, like most lawbreakers and criminals who have a problem with authority. Yeah, exactly. Caballero says, whether the flood was worldwide or local, I'm fine either way since it's not a matter of salvation. And that's basically what I'm saying as well. It's like, these kind of things is nothing to be to get your nose out of joint about, right? It's nothing. I'm just saying, this is what I, this is, if I had a conversation with somebody who was, who had a big problem with Noah's flood, could, couldn't be global, you know, there's no way it can be global. I'd say, well, fine. You know, you can read it as it's not. And it's true. You can read it like it's not. Like Haaretz, again, it can mean one part of the world. And remember, that part of the world, meaning the Holy Land and the surrounding areas, is a very low-lying part of the world. I mean, we got the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea there, right? The Dead, the Dead Sea is supposed to be like the lowest part of the of of the Earth, like lowest in in regards to, um, you know, sea level. It's like so much below sea level, and that's why it's the Dead Sea. That's why there's it's the Salt Sea. Because it's like the lowest spot of the earth. So if there was a flood, that would be like the first place that would flood. Okay, so. Yeah, let's get on to uh, Exodus chapter 14. Now, this is a very, very interesting portion of scripture because this is when um, the children of Israel was cornered and the way that God responded to Moses is absolutely phenomenal it's it's something that has shaken me uh, from the early days I remember back in when was it now just just shortly after I got saved this story when I read the story I'm like wow and I'll explain it as I read it. Will Sr. says, The Antichrist will bring so much temporary hope and deception. None of these politicians can even touch that. Doesn't line up with the scriptures. Okay, so Exodus chapter 14. Verse 1, now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pihahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal Zephon. You shall camp before it by the sea. Okay, again, let's, let's, just, let's just take this a little bit, one step at a time. Realize here that God himself set the stage. It's not like they just happened to be cornered at the Red Sea. It's like God put them in that corner. God put them in that very spot. He commanded Moses to go there. 
That's one good point right there. Verse three, for Pharaoh will say to the, of the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I, again, again, will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them and will gain honor over Pharaoh. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Again, you look at how God is setting the stage. He is taking that how I used um, I used the analogy before about Pharaoh is like God's firework, right? So he's taking that firework, he's taking that he's taking that that firework, and he's he's planting it in the ground right now. He's planting it there. He said, "I'm going to light you up. I'm going to light you up. This is what I'm going to do. You guys, children of Israel, you go over there. You go you you go in the corner, Pharaoh. I'm going to harden his heart, and I'm going to bring him in to you." So that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. So that I can show you my power. And sometimes, some of you may feel cornered in your life. Some of, some of you may feel cornered in your life. This is very, very important to understand. This is very, very important. Let's read on. Verse 5. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this? That we have let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Also, he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with boldness. So again, how many times is, we see this in the scriptures where it says the Lord, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Not Pharaoh, the Lord did it. Verse 9. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them by the camp, excuse me, and overtook them camping by the sea beside Pi-Heroth and uh, before Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the, the, the Egyptians marched after them. So picture this. Let's just say you're, you're one of the children of Israel. You're cornered. There's a part of the sea you can't go. And you look up and say, oh, no. The, the whole horizon is full of the army of Pharaoh, and they're, all, and, they're, and they're closing in on you. Where do you go? What, what do you do? What do you do? So they were afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. That's just what everybody else would do, right? We'd do that. The first thing you do is pray, right? By instinct. It's like, you pray. And that's what everybody would do. But watch what happens. Watch what God does, how God responds to their prayer. 
Okay, let's, let's read on here. Then they said to Moses, because, so now they're getting a little bit, they're like, you know, they're kind of like pessimistic here a little bit. They said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? Or it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than, to, than that we should die in the wilderness? And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Footnote, see the deliverance of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, <laughs> this is it right here. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Oh, wow. Like, <laughs> I find this very, very intriguing how God responded to their prayer. God set it up, right? We read that. God set it up. But these people, the children of Israel, God's people, cried unto God. They were they were praying, oh God. I mean, they're cornered. There's no, nothing else they can do. It's like, what can we do? We, I mean, God is our only hope now that cried to God. And what, what does God say in response? What's his answer? Why are you calling on me? Why do you cry to me? Think about that for a minute. That's a shocker, isn't it? That's a shocker. Imagine that. Imagine being in that place. Imagine hearing that from God. If you're in, if you are like a life and death situation and God's praying, or you're praying to God and God says to you, why do you cry to me? Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. In other words, God says, you move. You move. Why are you crying to me? You move. You do what you can. I see that so many times when people pray, when it's like God would say to them, why do you cry to me? You move. You move. I can't steer a parked car. You move. The children of Israel, you tell the children of Israel to go forward, Moses. What are you crying to me for? You, you lift up your rod and stretch your hand over the sea and divide it. What? What? God, isn't that what you're supposed we're crying on, we're crying out to you for you to do this miracle. And God's response is, hey, why do you cry to me? You go forward. You move forward. What do you mean move forward? The, 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 we got nowhere to move. The sea is right in front of us. It's like, doesn't matter. You move forward. You, you, you stretch your hand out over the sea. You divide the sea. Why do you cry to me? You do it. That's God's response. Very, very interesting. And I think that, you know, 
today, as I, as I said before, God is a very practical God. He's very, very practical. A lot of people just, they put God in such a very unknown kind of category, very super spiritual. And yes, he is spirit and yes, he's spiritual. But you know, he's very, very practical as well. Moses, children of Israel, all millions of you, however many there was, why are you crying to me? You move forward. I gave you feet to walk. You walk. You stretch your hand out over the sea. You divide it. Moving on with verse 16. This is Exodus chapter 14, verse 16. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over his army, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So, so the pillar of cloud was like leading them to the the, the um, you know the angel of God in the pillar of cloud was leading them to be cornered right up right up right up against the Red Sea, and so the angel of God of God the pillar of cloud moved from like pretty much right above right above or right right over the Red Sea moved from there to behind them where the army of, of Pharaoh was, right? So it came before the children of Israel and the army of Pharaoh to protect them as a shield. Verse 20. So it came between the, the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to one, and it gave light by night to the other so that the one did not come near the other at all that night. Now, this was not like, I'm not sure how many of you have ever seen that movie, um, Ten Commandments, you know, where the sea was divided within, you know, it was just, it was a matter of just a several minutes. It was all, it was all divided and they went through the land. That's not what happened. That's not what happened. That's not what the scriptures say. It took all night. All night. It took Hours, hours, I don't know, 12 hours, several hours for it to happen. It took all night. But in the meantime, that cloud slash fire, the pillar of cloud slash pillar of fire, was cloud to one and fire to the other. So that they couldn't, they couldn't see each other. Or they couldn't come near each other. Verse 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night. Didn't happen instantaneously. It didn't, you know, it didn't, it wasn't like the Ten Commandments movie where it only took like a matter of what, three, four minutes and it was all done. It took all night, all night. 
Someone says to me on TikTok, are you Christian? I'm as Christian as Yeshua was. I'm as Christian as Jesus was. I'm as Christian as the 12 disciples were, okay? If the, tw- if the 12 disciples are Christian, I'm Christian. Whatever they were is what I am. Hope that answers your question. So it took all night, all night, and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the armies of the Egyptians. And he took off their chariot wheels. Now, how did the Lord take off their chariot wheels? I think it was probably just like a quote-unquote accident, right? And how do you think the Lord took off the chariot wheels of the Egyptians? How? I think it was a, it was a quote unquote fluke. I think it was a quote unquote accident. It's like, oh, whoever was in charge of of, of uh, checking these chariot wheels before we left must have, you know, fire him. He didn't do a good job. These wheels are fa- falling off. They didn't, they didn't do their circle checks. So he, the Lord, took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. Well, yeah, if you don't have any wheels, can you imagine, yeah, can you imagine like driving a car without wheels? Yeah, they drove them with difficulty for sure. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel. Well, yeah, it's like. You should have you should have thought about that when the first plague hit hit Egypt. You should have thought about that when the first plague hit Egypt. That would have been that should have been enough. But that's again. This is it, it's just like how most people are today. For lack of a better term, these a lot of people are just so stupid. I mean, really, they're just so stupid. God does things, just like he is doing right now in the earth. God is working in this earth like, I'm not sure you guys see. God is working very, very clearly in this world right now. God uses all means of things to get people's attention and to, and to perform his will. He uses all means of things. Everything you can imagine. He can. He can use it. When things go wrong, a lot of people, even if they know it's God, even if they feel, oh, you know, I feel like the Lord is kind of, you know, whipping me, kind of chastising me. Well, you should learn then. But a lot of people don't learn. Look at society. Look at how many times... The world has fallen into, or not just the world, but you look at, like, you look back in, in Genesis, how Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and look how look what it cost them. Yet today, how many Christians disobey the commandments of God? And they fall for the exact same 
deception of Satan. More or less giving them the impression that it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. You can do it. It's okay to break the... It's okay to violate the Torah. Uh, it's okay. It's just all faith right now. The days of Noah, the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, the sins of the people throughout the Tanakh, and yet history is repeating itself because people are just too stupid. They really are. No belief. They don't believe. Even though people claim to believe, and there's a lot of people, a lot of people like this, they claim to believe the Bible, but they don't. Because they don't, in no capiche. They read it and doesn't register, as my grandmother would say. It doesn't register. It doesn't register. They say they believe it and they like the stories, but it, they, it just, they don't put two and two together and they don't connect the dots and they don't, they don't get serious about it. And they don't, they don't realize it. You need to pray when you're reading the scriptures. Pray that God would make it real to you. You can get right into it as you read it. And so after the Lord took off the chariot wheels, well, yeah, they drove them with difficulty, all right? And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Again, well, they should have known that, you know, way back when they should have known that. Even before the plagues hit Egypt, they should have known that. Even in the days of, uh, of Joseph, they should have known that. Verse 26, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians, on their chariots, and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew, excuse me, the, the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Now again, this didn't happen instantaneously, right? This didn't happen like in a matter of a minute or two minutes or three minutes, like how, again, like how the movies show you. It took a long time. This took a long time. But God did it. Yeah, God did it. Verse 28. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots and horsemen and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained. Well, you know, when God destroys something, he does a really good job. You know, again, look at Sodom and Gomorrah. There's a good example right there. Verse 29. But the children of Israel had walked on dry, dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord 
and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. You know what? People today, they need this. They need this. The people need to fear the Lord. That's where it's all at. And how how can they fear God? Because they, they need to do what the children of Israel did here. They need to see the great work which the Lord does to, to their enemies. And the people feared the Lord. You read about this in the book of in the book of Acts, where it says the fear of the Lord fell upon the church. Yet most churches I know of today claim to be book of Acts church, book of Acts kind of churches. You know what? Next time a pastor tells me that his church is a book of Acts kind of church, maybe what I should say to that pastor, ask that pastor, I should say, "Oh, really? Awesome." When's the last time the fear of the Lord fell upon your church? When's the last time the fear of the Lord fell upon your church? People need to experience God. People need to experience God. That's what they need. They need to experience the great might. Actually, you know what? Again, God is working in this day and age. He is working. He uses every he uses people. He uses his people. He uses people that are not his people. Look at Balaam again with the donkey. He used a donkey. God can use you or he can use me. He can use well, he can use his enemies. He can use the enemies of God. God is not. I mean, he's God. He's God. He can use. He can use everybody. Anybody. Going nowhere says I hear back in the day people suspected Ronald Reagan. Oh yeah, I heard that too. Like you look at all the way through history, it's like pretty much all the way through history. Everybody is like even right from the days of Paul the Apostle himself. Everybody thought they were in the last days. Everybody thought they were in the last days. How do I know that Paul thought he was? Well, you look what, what look what he, he 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 wrote. He said, "We, you know, who are who are left here, and we we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds." Paul literally and honestly believed that he would be alive when Jesus returned, and he would experience the quote unquote rapture. He said it. He didn't say those, you know, 2,000 years from now who are alive, when, you know, those people in the distant future, the people who are alive when Jesus comes back, they will be caught up together in the clouds. No, Paul said, we, we, and he was speaking to the Thessalonians at the time. He was speaking to the believers, the quote unquote, the saints in Thessalonia. And he said, hey guys, you and I, we who are alive will be caught up together with him in the clouds. We are we who are alive and remain when when uh, Jesus comes back. Paul thought that he was in the last generation, in every other generation since then. 
I've heard that almost every president and every, uh, how many different popes and almost everyone, people thought that they were the, they were the Antichrist. Remember uh, several years ago, someone said to me, uh, do, you, do you think that Obama is the Antichrist? No, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> You're like, oh, I, I think he, may, he maybe is. You know, my dad thinks he is. That's what someone said to me. No, he's not. I'm not saying he's a good person, as <laughs> definitely. Oh, that's another story, right? That's another story. Uh, and he might be an antichrist, but he's not the antichrist. Same with all these other people. Yeah, is uh, some people suspected Ronald Reagan of being the Antichrist because his full name Ronald had six letters each. Yeah, and this is the thing, right? When it when it comes into all this kind of thing, like seeing things or calculations, you can really take almost anything and claim that it's. You can take this jar I have for some reason. I mean, you can say, look at it's. You know, it's whatever. Like it's. There's 600, you know, whatever, milliliters, and then there's another six. Some people come up with some crazy, crazy things. I used to have a website. True story, guys. True story. I used to have a website. This was like 20 years ago. Actually, longer than that. 23 years ago. I used to have a website. And on my website, it was like, you know, I, I, post, I posted all kinds of stuff about the Word of God and about you know the, the gospel and the scripture, all that kind of stuff. And one person said, <laughs> one person said, I see an up, I see an upside down cross on that website. That means they, they, they you see how, see how bad that you know, see how evil this is. He doesn't worship God. Isn't that, I'm like, where in the world do you see that? It's like, how do you, where do you get that from? It's like, you can, you can see almost anything anywhere. You can look at a blade, blade of grass and think that you're, you see some writing in it. You can look at whatever. You, you, can, you can see things. You, you may seem like you see things everywhere in a, in a piece of wood. Oh, look at, I see these, you know, this word. Well... It's, it's to the extreme. I think that people need to get a lot deeper than that. A lot deeper than that. And then you got these people who say, well, look, at this guy, he's a false, he, he's a, an antichrist or whatever. Why? Because, you know, out of, you know, they, people scrub through these videos, people's videos, not mine, not, not, that I've known of, but people scrub through other videos, preachers. I know pre preachers, that okay, I don't agree. Like for example, there's a lot of these preachers I don't agree with, right? They're I think they're way off. Okay, I wouldn't call them the Antichrist or even an Antichrist, and I even I even I would not even call them a false prophet. Or I even hate the the term false teacher too because it's it's just so overused and so abused. Would I say that they preach a lot of error? Yeah, yeah, they do. Preach some some things that are okay, but but anyway, you get people who post, you know, they scrub through these videos and they say, "Oh, look at this guy! He look at 
Look at his hand. He, he made it. He made a symbol with his fingers and his hand symbols that 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 show you that he's he's you know he's of the devil. He's not he's not of God. And you can tell just by these. You, know, you can just imagine what hand symbols that these signs and whatever they made with their hands. It's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. You don't judge people by scrubbing through a million frames of a video and trying to find one spot where they make some kind of a symbol with their with their hand. That's not how you judge them. You judge them by their fruit. You judge them by their character. You judge them by their lifestyle. You judge them by something a lot deeper than that. What, you know, the, the spirit about them. Yeah, so someone said, oh, look at that. Christopher, he's got an upside down cross on his website. Like, I'm, not, I'm thinking, what in the world are you talking about? Absolutely ridiculous. So I thought, hey, so what? Peter the Apostle, Peter, you know, the Peter, St. Peter, he was crucified on an upside down cross. That's how he left this world. Does that mean that he's of the devil? No, of course not. He's of Jesus. He's of the Lord. He's of God. He's not a false teacher, false prophet, or an antichrist, or anything like else. But yet, he was crucified on an upside-down cross. So I say, hey, I claim I, I didn't have an upside-down cross on, on the website, by the way. I didn't. I didn't. But it's like, even if I did, I'd be, I'd be saying, oh, I, this is in honor of Peter the Apostle. This is in honor of one of the greatest men that ever lived. Men of God. Who served God all, you know, from the time, at least from the time that Yeshua called him all the right throughout the rest of eternity. Yeah, he screwed up a few times, but hey, so people just get a little bit too like, oh, I want to see, um, look into things. No, you know, God speaks on a different, you know, God can speak through things like that, but God speaks on a different level. God speaks deep calling to deep, deep calling to deep. One John two twenty six says, uh, "What I wonder is where the horses come from." In one of the plagues, it said, "All the horses died." Now, I think from what we just read here uh, yesterday in the plagues, it says that the horse, the the animals died that were not. Remember that God told them through Moses told them to put their put their animals inside to put them un, in the shelter. Uh, give them shelter. So I guess it would be in context, all of the horses that were not, that were left out, uh, the ones that were not um, put in, in a safe place. Yeah, Caballero's talking about the monster energy drink having this symbols and all that kind of stuff in it. Put it this way. 
the 603 score six whole thing like that in the scriptures is only found once in the scriptures. Only once in the entirety of all the scope of scripture over thousands of years. That's how important it was. It was only once. And not only that, but in the context that John wrote it in, in Revelation chapter 13, he didn't write it as if it was a for sure thing. He said it's either a mark or a name or a number or it's here or it might be there. And if it is a number, then it might be this number. It, the way he talked, like it wasn't really like a, a for sure thing. And again, it was it's only found once. It's not even it's not found in the Tanakh at all. It's not found in the Tanakh at all. In, in the extra-biblical writings, the in, in any of the Apocrypha or the Pseudepigrapha or the Book of Enoch or the Book of Jubilees or any of these other writings, I'm not even, even the legends of the Jews, I'm not aware of anything like that in there. So uh, I'm not saying that it's not true. I'm just saying that let's take it into, into context. Is it that true? important forever because you can find you can find that like again you can look at a you know you can look at a leaf from a tree and say oh i see i see it in here you know, if you really want to if you really want to see something you'll see something almost anywhere that's the way it is vita vita good to see you shalom shalom how's it going in holland Vita says, God bless you all. God bless you, Vita. God bless you more. Yeah, so. So awesome. Tomorrow, I am. Uh, yeah, I remember you said that one before there, one John saying that it, instead it used to be it was actually 616. Yeah, I remember you said that before. And yes, I have heard that as well because. I remember, um, it, I forget which Bible it is, but it does have that in the footnotes as well. So yeah, that's 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 a good point as well. Yeah, so that's another thing. So tomorrow, tomorrow, wow, it's late. <laughs> it's late, Vita says it's late, 3.14 a.m. Yes, so we're, uh, we're just about to wrap up here anyway. But tomorrow is a very special day. It is Shabbat. I mean, we're in Shabbat right now, technically speaking, but we will be back tomorrow. Now, this is 2 o'clock two p.m., 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, what am I thinking? Eastern, <laughs> 2 o'clock Eastern time uh, here in, in North America. I guess you could call it New York time. For those of you who want to have a little bit more of a landmark to, to go by. Uh, so yeah, tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern, we will be back and we will have our Shabbat fellowship. I got I got lots of things I want to talk to you guys about. Some a lot of things is going. I want to talk to you guys about what's going on. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome because there's a lot of things that's going on in, uh, in the world. I'm pretty sure you guys um, in the past few days we were talking about what's going on in Canada. You probably saw some of the videos that I posted. Tomorrow's that big day when it starts, uh, and so maybe we can kind of talk about that. We'll fellowship around that a little bit. And we got I got some other things I want to share with you guys tomorrow. So I'm looking forward to it. So yeah, make sure you guys join me tomorrow. 
If you, uh, uh, any of you guys on, on TikTok or on YouTube, if you're not subscribed or uh, if you're not following me, make sure you subscribe, make sure you're following, make sure you got those notifications on just in case. I know what it's like, you know, you get caught up doing something and say, oh man, the time, I, I missed it. No, I don't want you guys. When I go live tomorrow, join me, join me, Get those put those notifications on so that you can join me and uh, we'll have a great time. We'll have a great time tomorrow. Awesome. All right, guys. That's it for tonight. And for those of you who are on the other side of the world, that's it for, I guess, to you would be today. So, yeah. So thank you very much, you guys. As always, you guys are awesome. Thank you for your questions and your comments and your fellowship. Tomorrow, Lord willing, we will have some awesome fellowship. Amen. Amen. Shabbat fellowship tomorrow. Caballero says, thank you, Christopher. Good night. Thank you again, Caballero, for your questions and comments. And for your fellowship, you guys are awesome as always. Patricia says, thanks for your teaching. Amen. Thank you, Patricia. 1 John 2.26 says, thank you, Christopher. Another fast night. Yep. Brenda says, thanks. Good night. God bless you. <clears throat> God bless you. Excuse me. And thank you, Brenda. Voice of one. Good to see you. Yes, and Vinny says, thank you, Christopher. God bless you all. Shalom, shalom. All right, guys, as always, Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. Be gracious to you. Lift up his countenance upon you and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. Amen, amen. <laughs>